You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. Steadfast means to be fixed fastly, to be firm, to be firmly fixed and planted, established. That's what steadfast means. It means to be constant and resolute. I like that word. Resolute. It doesn't mean to be fickle or wavering. I like you for what you're saying. Wait a minute. I like him because he's saying this. Wait a minute. Bouncing back and forth. It doesn't mean that. We must hold to our faith. An established neighborhood has mature trees that have been there for years, enduring the elements of the weather and seasons. Is your faith like a strong tree, holding resolute against the storms and the swaying culture and systems? Today, Pastor Dave encourages you to stand strong and steadfast for the Lord. Now, here's Pastor Dave in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 2 as he continues his message, Fight or Flight. If we look in Corinthians again, in chapter 2, verses 1 to 4, maybe we can get an idea of his thinking process, because Paul always had to do the same thing. He told the Corinthians, And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of the wisdom declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness and fear and much trembling, and my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of spirit and power that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. When the rest of the circumstances and we start putting our trust into man, we're in a world of hurt. We need to put our trust in the one who is able to save us and the one who can keep us from falling, Jesus Christ the righteous. The so speak here is the gospel message. Paul never deterred from the gospel message. It says he spoke extremely effective. It was a very effective speech by Paul because he spoke the gospel message. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. He was filled with boldness. And he stood before these men in the synagogue and he preached the words of truth. Now, Paul doesn't record what he said. But Paul was very aware of his responsibilities and why he was there and why he was sent. And so should we. We should be ever aware of why we're being sent and why we're here. We're not here, believe it or not, to spread the gospel. We're here to glorify God. And in glorifying God, the gospel will be spread. Jesus has called us to spread the gospel. He's given us the great commission, yes. He's given us the great commission, and we have a responsibility to share the gospel message. But God needs to be glorified. I can guarantee if you start glorifying God in your life, in your body, in your soul, and wherever you go, people will be drawn to you, and then you'll have a chance to give the message. You'll have a chance to give the gospel. Look at the results. A great multitude of Jews believe. A great multitude. The first thing I see here is Paul's courage to deliver the message of salvation. Remember, he and Barnabas have been expelled from a city for the exact same thing. But also remember that Paul was filled with the Holy Spirit. And this is where his courage, his courage came from. 
He knows and has confidence in the Lord. He knows that the Lord wants to speak. He knows that the Lord wants all to be saved. He knows that he's going to use him mightily. The second thing I see here is the word of God going forth with power behind it and accomplishing that which he's supposed to do. What is the word of God supposed to accomplish? Salvation. Salvation is the main goal of the word of God. God's plan is very simple. As we are filled with the Holy Spirit and empowered to do God's will, we deliver the message, then God quickens the heart of those listening, and salvation comes upon those who he's called. It's a beautiful thing. It's a wonderful thing, and we should never tire of it. We should never tire of giving God the glory, giving God the praise. But as we said the last time we studied in chapter 13, sometimes the response to the gospel is not so good. Look at the next verse. But unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brethren. In the original King James, it says that they made their minds evil affected against them. And in the NASB, it says that they embittered them against the brethren. How did they do that? How did they embitter them against the brethren? How did they, how did they poison their minds? The Greek idea here is to entreat evil or to bring harm. These unbelieving Jews who were gathered there, they might have become jealous as they did back in 1345 when it said filled with envy when we studied that last couple weeks. But they stirred up the Gentiles to the point of doing harm. They poisoned their minds. What did this look like? What does it mean, poison their mind? The mind is an incredible thing. Every day, thousands upon thousands of thoughts are pouring into our mind. Thousands upon thousands of images are being transferred into our brain. Thousands upon thousands of opinions come into our ears and are tossed in as well. As we listen to these opinions, as we listen to these images or see these images, and we start to think on these thoughts, we develop actions and responses according to what we're hearing and seeing. You ever hear the term garbage in? garbage out. If you sit around and you take garbage in all day long and garbage is filling your brain, the only thing that can come out is garbage, whether it be attitude or spoken word or whatever, if you're constantly taking garbage in. But see, I think what's happening here is that these Jews are starting to talk about what was being taught or maybe what was not being taught. They started giving their opinions on what should and should not be taught. That's what they're doing here. And the Gentiles, on the other hand, they were listening. Their minds were starting to process the information, and they began to formulate opinions. Now, if enough garbage gets into my brain, I know that the same garbage is eventually going to come out. It's eventually going to come out. It's going to come out as an action, or it's going to come out as a spoken word. The mind processes it. These Gentiles were listening very, very carefully. If these Jews were constantly complaining about Barnabas and Saul and what their message was, and if these Gentiles were constantly listening to this thought process or something like this, it probably hurts to, did you hear what these guys are saying? It's against Jewish law. It's against Jewish tradition. Who do these guys think they are? They're nobody. We shouldn't listen to them. We shouldn't listen to them. We have a much better answer. Now, the Jews probably weren't well prepared. They probably didn't know the scriptures as well as the Jews did. The Gentiles probably didn't know exactly what was going on. And and after all, what were the Gentiles thinking? Well, the Jews should know. They should know. They're the religious ones. We should listen to them. Or maybe they were thinking, well, you know, we've known these Jews much longer than we've known Barnabas and Paul, so maybe we should listen to them regardless of what they say. Maybe they were thinking that. I mean, after all, why would they lie? They're our friends. You know, that's what happens in a church when gossip starts. Gossip gets into a church and it starts like that. Thoughts or opinions are expressed about whatever, you name it. And minds are poisoned. 
And their poisoned and unfavorable attitudes start. And when unfavorable attitudes become involved, you get carried out in your actions and the way you treat people or with your speech. Garbage in, garbage out. It happens in schools all the time. I was a school teacher for a long, long time. And at the dinner table, the father says, oh, that stupid math teacher doesn't know what they're talking about. In my day, blah, 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 blah. And the kid has a preconceived notion about the teacher. And the next time he goes in with the teacher, he's not going to try to receive anything from the teacher because dad has said teacher's no good. A better example, Little League Baseball. Dad's the best baseball player that ever lived. Nobody could ever play the game of baseball better than dad. And when the baseball coach doesn't use junior for whatever, dad says, that guy doesn't know a thing about baseball. I wouldn't listen to him. And junior's thinking, why would my dad lie? It's my dad. So he goes out into the field, and the next thing you know, He's not paying attention to the coach because the coach is a liar. The coach doesn't know what he's talking about. The same thing happens here. The same thing happens everywhere. You hear somebody, somebody starts talking. Hmm, why would they lie? It's them. Why would they lie? And you believe it. And you take it into your side, and all of a sudden you start acting differently toward the person that they're talking about. It's a natural fact. I don't care who you are. It happens every day. You hear something about someone, you hear it enough times, you start acting differently towards the people you're associating with. I'm as guilty as the next person. That's what happened here. They're poisoning their minds to the truth. Their minds are being poisoned. And how can you receive when your mind is poisoned? How can you receive anything from the Lord if your mind is poisoned? If you're sitting there the entire throng thinking, this guy's a clown. He shouldn't even be talking. You can't receive. We need to be ever so careful as to what we say and to whom we say it. We need to be ever so careful to what we listen to when somebody says. We need to take it back to the Word of God. The result could be a poisoned mind. The result could be devastating. In verse 3 it says, Therefore they stayed there a long time, speaking boldly in the Lord, who was bearing witnesses to the Word of God. His grace, granting signs and wonders done by their hands. What? Obviously, Paul and Barnabas now are in the fight mode. It says, therefore. What's the therefore there for? Because their minds were stowed up. It's almost like they said, oh yeah? Your minds are stirred up, huh? Okay, well, we're going to stay here a long time, and we're going to start teaching this word. They were ready to fight. They were ready to fight and stand firm. Where were they standing firm in? The Lord. They were standing firm in the Lord. It says, in the Lord. Look at the passage. It said, therefore, they stayed a long time there, speaking boldly in the Lord. Not speaking boldly of the Lord. Speaking boldly in the Lord. That's where their strength was. Paul knew this. We're studying Ephesians, and we're going to get to verse six, ten, uh, chapter 6, verse 10, when it says, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. We're going to get to that. Barnabas and Paul knew where their strength was. God was doing signs and wonders to show and, and authorize or, or authenticate their ministry. God was doing signs and wonders through that. He was bearing witness of what they were teaching by of his grace. You know, Paul and Barnabas put up a good fight. They stayed there a long time and continued their ministry. They continued witnessing Jesus through signs and wonders, and they continued to preach the gospel message. This must have been a wonderful time. This must have been an exciting time, regardless of what the circumstances was around them. But they were so Focus on the Lord. They were so in tune with what the Lord was saying. They were so focused. They weren't caring about the consequences. They weren't caring about what came their way. They weren't worried about it because one thing that came their way was going to go through the hands of the one that loved them, through their God. Could they possibly have been thinking about Psalm 56, verse 11? In God I have put my trust. I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? 
Or maybe they were thinking Psalm 118.6, the Lord is on my side, I will not fear. What can man do to me? And was the author of Hebrews aware of this when he penned through the Spirit in Hebrews? Um, I didn't tag it. So we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? The exact same verse. If God be for you, who can be against you? If God be for you, who can be against you? No one. And they knew that. They were confident in that. They were confident in that. But the responses to the gospel were mixed in Iconium, just like they're mixed anytime the gospel message goes forth. And now we see another result of the poisoned mind. And this response really hurts. It's called division. Look at the scripture. But the multitude of the city was divided. Part sided with the Jews and part sided with the apostles. In the end of chapter 13, we studied that one of the results and the responses to the word of God was division among the people. Division also is a result of the poisoned mind. When the mind is so confused about situations and it is not focused on the Lord, but focused on the circumstances, divisions occur. Notice I said confusion, and just who might be the author of confusion? Who might be the one that authorizes confusion? Well, I know what it says in 1 Corinthians eleven thirty-two: God is not the author of confusion. God is not the author of confusion. But the evil one loves to come in. He loves to divide and conquer. He loves to come in and see the mind poisoned so he can get his point across. That's what Satan loves to do. These Gentiles were poisoned, with poisoned minds were forced to choose between the Jews and the apostles. They were forced to make a choice. This is how division works. Confusion reigns and choices have to be made. Unfortunately, it happens way too often. And many people get hurt. As we continue, we look at the apostles' plight here and things go from bad to worse in a hurry. Look at verses five and six. And when a violent attempt was made by both the Gentile and Jews with their rulers to abuse and stone them, they became aware of it and fled to Lystra and Derbe, cities of Lycaonia, and to the surrounding region. How did they find out about this? Well, probably somebody told them, but I believe that the Spirit told them. I believe that the Spirit had somebody come to them and said, hey, there's a plot out there. Somebody's trying to get you. Somebody's looking after you. These men with poisoned minds wanted to hurt them. They wanted to abuse them to the point of violence. They wanted to stone them. They wanted to kill them. That's what division does. It separates so deeply. It separates so bloodily that people want to do horrible things and they, and they do it in the name of the Lord. It was definitely time to flee. It was time for the apostles to flee. They now were in the flight mode. They knew it was time. So they fled. The fight was over. But the Lord had proven victorious. Man sees people leaving, and man probably was saying, got those guys out of here. Woohoo! Sent that preacher packing. Woohoo! We got our church back. Oh, boy, those guys are gone. Woo! Nah. What did we say? A great multitude believed. You think the Lord's upset over that? You think the Lord's looking down upon that and going, oh, what a failure. The Lord's looking down and going, going to the angels, do you see that? And the angels are going, yeah. The angels are rejoicing. We're having a great time because salvation was reigning. But in human terms, we call it failure. But in God's book, it's a success. See, 
Bottom line is, God will not be defeated. The bottom line here is God cannot be defeated, ever. Neither man nor Satan can ever defeat God. The victory is ours. We are victorious. Didn't you ever want to be on the winning side? Didn't you ever want to be called a winner? Well, if you've accepted Jesus Christ in your life, you are a winner. Because everything from here is beautiful. It's great. This is the worst it gets. This is wonderful. We are victorious in Christ. Keep this in your mind the next time you come into a trial. This group escapes harm in Iconium, and they end up in another town, another city. Did the lesson from Iconium keep them from sharing the word of God? No. They go in there again and start boldly sharing the word of God. Did the trouble keep them from preaching the God's word? No. And when I was writing this, the only thing that came to my mind is the mailman. Neither rain nor snow nor sleet or dark at night will keep him from his appointed rounds. Nothing's going to keep God's word from doing what it's supposed to do. Nothing. Though many men will try. Though many men will come against you. Though many people will rise up. Nothing will keep God's word silent. It's an impossibility. It cannot happen. Look at what Paul says about the final victory over death that the Christian is looking forward to. You can find this in 1 Corinthians 15, 57 through 58. Now, he spends this chapter talking about death, the final victory that the Christian has. And he says, you know, that beautiful chapter, oh, death, where is thy sting? You know, he talks about that. And here we are looking at it. And Paul says, because you know this, because you know this, Christian, because you have this in your brain, Christian, this is what I want to say to you. And he says this in 57 and 58. He says, but thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, because we have victory in Jesus Christ, because death cannot conquer us, because man cannot do anything to us, he says this, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, be immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. And I stand here today as pastor of Calvary Chapel, Cape May, admonishing and challenging and encouraging you, be steadfast, be immovable, abounding in the works of the Lord, knowing that the work you're doing for the Lord is not in vain. That should be our battle cry. That should be what we're standing up for. I'm standing up for righteousness. I'm standing up for God Almighty. And though they may slay me, I know my Redeemer lives. And I know that I will meet him one day and stand with him face to face. And anything else that happens, happens. And that's how I have to approach life. That's how I have to approach this pastoral. That's how I have to approach what I do in life. And you stand up for Christ. Many people want to tear you down. When you stand up for Christ, many people will be at your knees and at your heels trying to pull you under, trying to pull you down, discredit you, prove that you're false, prove that you're not standing up for righteousness. And oh, everybody wants grace. Everybody wants grace to be put upon them. But when you make a mistake, nobody's willing to give the same grace back. I'm here to tell you, church, that we need to stand steadfast. We need to stand immovable. We have a victory that's in Jesus Christ, and no one or anything can take that away. That's a given, and it's ours. Next time you come into a trial, next time you come into affliction, next time you come into temptation, let that be your mindset. 
The victory is won. And you are ever victorious if you are in Christ Jesus. You know, steadfast and movable, not falling away, not believing the lie. Satan's out there and he has so many lies he wants to tell. So many lies he wants to fill your brain with and fill your heart with so that you will come believe him. And he's going to come at you the same way he did 6,000 years ago to Eve. Has God really said that? Can you really trust this God? Come on. He hasn't changed his tactics at all. He's just gotten more sophisticated. I think he has a Facebook page. You know, he might be the owner of Facebook for all I know. Steadfast means to be fixed fastly, to be firm, to be firmly fixed and planted, established. That's what steadfast means. It means to be constant and resolute. I like that word. Resolute. It doesn't mean to be fickle or wavering. I like you for what you're saying. Wait a minute. I like him because he's saying this. Wait a minute. Bouncing back and forth. It doesn't mean that. We must hold to our faith. We must hold to our beliefs because the day is coming and the day is here now when everything we believe in, everything we hope in will be challenged. It will be challenged by people sitting here in this room. It'll be challenged by local government. It'll be challenged by state government. And it's being challenged today by the federal government. Everything we hold dear and everything we believe in will be challenged. You can take that to the bank and count on it. It will be challenged. What do you believe? What do you believe? Where is your faith? Where is your hope? If you're believing in something other than Jesus Christ, I'm here to tell you today, guys, that you got the wrong answer on the family feud. You're wrong. Because if you're putting your faith and your hope in anything else, you're in trouble. You're in mighty, mighty trouble. Including the person stand before you. I don't want you to put your faith in me. Don't ever put your faith in me. Put your faith in Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the only one that deserves your faith, and he's the only one that died so that he could give you that faith. Put your faith in him and him alone. Don't be swept away by the winds of doctrine as they come along, by the cunningness of man, by crafty speech or slick perversion of the word. Stand firm, Christian, in the Lord and rely on the power of his might. Don't be swayed to place your faith in anything else or anyone else except him. He is the one that called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. He is the one that did it. And he is the one who receives our glory and receives our praise. It's time, Christian, to stand and fight. The time for fleeing has passed. It's time to stand and fight. Take a side. It's time, Christian. We need to take a side. If it ever becomes time to flee, God will show you. And he will give you a path to flee in. He will give you a path and a way out. It's time, Christian. It's time. You are You've been listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave. 
Pastor Dave has been making his way through the book of Acts, an exciting adventure into the beginnings of the Christian church. These first few days, weeks, months, and years of the Christian ministry were filled with much faith and courage. In fact, the very first martyrs were mentioned in this book. It was an interesting time in history for sure, and just like today, some people were eager to hear about Jesus, and others were looking to put those down who follow after him. What are some of the things that have stood out to you about today's message? We'd like to hear about it. Would you give us a call? Let us know how this message has impacted you. Our number is 609-884-5821. Once more, that number is 609-884-5821. If you're in the Cape May area, you're invited to join us at Calvary Chapel, Cape May. A Sure Hope is a ministry out of Calvary Chapel, Cape May, and we'd like to get to know you and worship God together this weekend. Check out AssureHopeRadio.com to find out service times. Again, that's AssureHopeRadio.com. And if you can't make it in person, we stream our services live to Facebook and YouTube. Just look for the links at AssureHopeRadio.com. That's all the time we have for today. But we hope you'll join us again on the next edition. Pastor Dave will continue on in the book of Acts, helping you understand and appreciate this great book here on Assure Hope.